Welcome back to Rivals of the East. I'm your host, Buzz, with co-host Sean. What's going on, Sean? Not a whole lot, you know, outside of uh, avoiding some of the common idiocracy that's going on in the AFC East. That is what the team talk. Yeah. Um, boy, I, I it just broke today before we recorded this. What a deal. Nikhil Harry <laughs> going to the Bears for a 2024 hey. seventh round pick. And the comment sums it up right here. What a dirt cheap and yet overpayment still. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it, it can't be as good as, you know, having AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, <laughs> DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. No, we, we, we got a fair deal because guess what? PFF ranked him 85.8 blocking percentage he is the fifth best blocker at receiver not even the best at blocking he's fifth though it should at least we got a six from the bears for jakeem grant all right shut your mouth dude come on bill the gm needs to be fired yeah bill the gm fired <laughs> but guess what bill the coach that's the he's guy losing his with. touch he's, uh, he's no. losing his touch uh, don't don't you don't joe judge that. Matt Patricia. Anyways, we're here today to talk about, speaking of uh, controversies at all, if you didn't check out our last episode, Sean's hanging out with the two guys we talked about now. You can see Tua and uh, Big Mac Attack Jones. And uh, although he's Mac's gotten in better shape this offseason, Devontae Parker said... Less Mac sauce, more Mac. (laughs) He said, Devontae Parker thinks, I think it was he who said... uh, that boy's got some spiraled now. Yeah, it was Looking it. Um, Kevin Boren said, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he's Boren. made some leaps and bounds. He he shed a few pounds or 20. I was like, okay, all right, yeah. calm down now. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we did a deep dive on Tua versus Mac in our last episode. Check out Apple Podcasts and clips of it on our YouTube. Um, also check it out on Podbean. But today we're kind of going to come in here with our cold takes and our hot takes today in a shorter special episode as Sean and I get prepared uh, for a big in-depth episode, uh, probably a couple episodes coming up here of our predictions for our 53s uh, for both the Dolphins and the Patriots as we get closer to the preseason here. But today, hot takes, cold takes, Sean. Um, we're going to start with the Patriots, and I'd like to hear what is your cold take about the New England Patriots in 2022? All right, so cold take, um, it's one of those things that just like flows off the tongue because, you know, defensive mastermind, Bill Belichick, what if I told you they're going to be ranked 26th in overall defense? That's your cold take? That's my cold take. I think they're going to be among the eight worst defenses in the NFL. All because you got all Malcolm all Butler because, back? Jalen Mills? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I think it doesn't fit a team when, um, you know, you have like a fill-in safety that plays, you know, interior corner at times, you know, in a pinch. 
playing outside potentially cornerback Malcolm Butler, a guy who was retired last year, um, mentally just wasn't in the game. Took a year off. And you have two other rookies in corners that you did draft. So I, I think that's the combination outside of Jonathan Jones, who also came out of a pretty bad injury. So I, I think those are all the makings of, um, you know, a, a secondary that is going to struggle. And even at linebacker, you know, you cut loose all the old veterans, which I, I don't disagree in that case. You need to see what you have with the younger guys, Anthony Jennings, you know, Josh Shea, Cameron McGrone, you know, we, we got to figure out what's, you know, going on in that linebacker kind of section. Um, your defensive line outside of Christian Barmore really struggled. Um, Lawrence guy, you know, he, he does a little bit of everything, but nothing too stout or really impressive about the defensive line. So outside of the safety group, which I think is probably of the best in depth in the entire NFL, this, the defense is just God awful with proven consistency run stopping. There's nothing really there to hang your hat on. So if they do anything at all, if it's, helping in defensive scoring, rushing defense, pass something. I, I don't know anything. It I would be impressed. Okay. I could kind of see where you're going. Uh, Uche had some highlights. Uh, he showed some sparks, so I think you'll be fine with him. Um, obviously, Van Noy's not there anymore. Wow. Uh, Hightower's gone too, correct? H- Hightower is in the... We're not sure because there are rumors that um that he may hang up his hat because uh, right. you know he I believe he has like ten point eight million that's supposed to be due this year and I don't see Bill paying that for a guy that looks like he he just doesn't have the agility to go uh, sideline to sideline maybe forward but not sideline to sideline and that's gonna yeah. be a problem. I could see that. Okay. Um, I'm going to go next for Miami's cold take. And this has been a topic all off season, of course, as you know, even last season. I'm going to go out and say for the cold take, the Miami Dolphins are going to be looking for a new quarterback for 2023. There's a, a couple of reasons why I bring that up. I actually, believe it or not, I went back, Sean, the last five to six seasons, and I wanted to see just how did Tua compare with teams that had the worst offensive line in the NFL to try to get a better grasp on how he's doing in that field of quarterbacks? Um, some of these will surprise you. Some of them will not. But I'm going to start with uh, 2021, of course, uh, leading that off. Miami did have the worst offensive line in the NFL. Tua finished with 2,653 yards, 16 touchdowns, 10 picks, and 13 starts. He was averaging about 204 yards per game. There's more in-depth analysis on the 2021 season that he had in our last episode, of course, as we broke that down. But I'm going to jump back to the earliest that I found. And 2016, uh, the Seahawks had the worst offensive line. Russell Wilson started all year. They went 10-5-1. and one. Wilson finished with 42-19 yards, 4,219 yards, 21 touchdowns, 11 picks, averaging about 263 yards per game. 2017, enter the Texans as the worst offensive line. You had Hall of Famer Tom Savage started seven games at quarterback for the <laughs> Houston Texans. Yeah. And Sean doubts Tom Savage. 
But yeah, he had 1,412 yards, five touchdowns, six picks, and seven starts. Enter the Masseuse Nasiro. Deshaun Watson started seven games, uh, 1,699 yards, 19 touchdowns, eight picks, averaged 242 yards per game in his seven starts to close out that season. 2018, what an unforgettable year for the Cardinals. The worst offensive line in the NFL. They had the chosen Rosen. Uh, Miami fans might be familiar with him. He had, uh, yeah, 13 starts. Great acquisition. 13 starts. Rosen finished 2,278 yards. He was a rookie, by the way, as was Watson the year before. 11 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He was averaging only a buck 162 per game. So that's not going to win you football games. And obviously didn't. Cardinals finished 3-13 and that year. 2019, here we go. Familiar face. The Miami Dolphins had the worst offensive line in the NFL, which was to be expected. This was the tank year, the tank for two a year. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick led us here in uh, kind of a crazy season versus where it started against where it ended, which you might uh, be familiar with that, Sean. Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, finished 3,529 yards, 20 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, averaged 235 yards per game. Finally, 2020. The Chargers had the very worst bottom feeder offensive line. One of the worst uh, pass protections PFF has rated in a long, long, long time. They had rookie Justin Herbert, who was taken sixth overall in the 2020 draft. He finished with 4,336 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and averaged 289 yards per game. So between looking at the lay of the land for where we see quarterbacks with bad offensive lines and how they finish. Most of these guys took chances. They pushed the ball down the field regardless. Why? Because they had to, they had to force the ball in there. You can see that double digit interceptions, obviously each one had Russell Wilson, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Justin Herbert. Uh, I I'm just a very, as we went into depth in the last episode, I just don't see enough there that shows me that Tua will be changing to push the ball downfield, which is what Miami will need. And I believe that the injuries could be a concern this season and or the consistency. There's been flashes that Tua has had in his career with the Dolphins, whether it's the few games he started in 2020 or the season last year. But one of the biggest concerns that I have is just his ability to be consistent. Can he get those fourth quarter comebacks? Can he push the ball downfield with weapons like Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, hopefully Mike Kosicki? He hasn't signed the tag as of yet. You know, it's all question marks. And so I just don't think we're going to get a solid enough answer. I'm not saying Tua could have a bad year or anything like that. I just, it's, I don't believe he's going to have the year that Miami needs him to have in order for us to be sure that this is the guy. I think we're going to wind up looking for a quarterback in 2023. So that's what I think. Sean, what about your hot take for New England? Your hot clam chowder take? Hot take. So um, the Patriots were ranked towards the middle of the pack in offense. And my hot take is, is solely rested on the shoulders of this guy right over here. I think the Patriots are going to crack the top 10 for offenses. And I think it's going to be all due to his progression. I, I, I honestly really do believe that, you know, they don't have any rock stars at any specific position, but I think the overall offensive uh, roster is, is there's quite a bit of depth in receiver. Um, if you literally get a pulse 
out of uh, Janu at tight end. And I think, you know, coupled with Henry's, you know, pretty stellar uh, initial season with the Patriots, I the run game, like the run game has been pretty solid. And I think if Damian Harris does stay, does what he does, and maybe you get a little more out of Ramondre Stevenson, I, I really think the Patriots offense could make a leap. And that's going to be the interesting part is, you know, the Patriots defense who has held the team together for quite some time, even in Brady's, you know, starting seasons, that's really what helped him get through that transition. And I think it's going to be a weird kind of situation where, um, you know, you saw Brady with a, a stellar defense when he was young and just a few good pieces that really helped him, um, you know, kind of understand the NFL. I think you're going to have Mac Jones, who's going to have just okay pieces surrounding him and a not so great defense, but he's going to put the pieces together. And I think he's going to figure it out because that, that just seems to be the kind of guy we're seeing. He seems like he's a leader. He seems like he's decisive and he seems very motivated. Gotcha. So you think top 10 for that? Yeah. You top know, 10. I, I get the feeling you don't like John M. Smith, Sean, just a little, I, it, I had a little detest. When he was the initial big signing we did and at tight end, especially, and it was Johnny Smith and, you know, it was, oh, look what Ryan Tannehill did with him and, you know, all these great things. He was really athletic and he had these big yardage plays. And what I saw was a guy that struggled at route running, um, had unsure hands, looked like he was lost in the offensive play calling, which that's understandable because the Patriots do have a bit of a complex offensive scheme. But then when you turn around, you look at all the other new guys that are in the offense, you know, the, the Kevin Bournes, you know, Hunter Henry. Yeah, I know he's a veteran, but he never really had anything consistent, Um, you know, head coach wise scheme playing outside of Phillip rivers and he just plugs in with a rookie quarterback and re really cashed in. And I think in one of his better seasons, he's even had as a tight end. So yeah. I, I just thought, you know, the athleticism was going to show up a little more than it did. And he seemed to really struggle. Yeah. <clears throat> Fair criticism. Fair criticism. Um, that is a big question mark. Usually New England thrives with a couple, multiple tight ends that can do pretty well when they're um, not killing people that's <laughs> your words not mine uh in the police record but needless to say uh that's going to lead to my miami dolphins hot take and not a lot of people might see this coming uh, pff doesn't believe it a lot of other fans don't believe it but my hot take is that i believe that jalen wada will finish with more yards than tyreek hill I know people might be thinking, what is smoking? Well, here's what I'm smoking, okay? This is why I believe that Jalen Waddle is going to be that guy. So last season, Tyreek Hill with the Kansas City Chiefs, his role shifted after that Ravens game. The offensive style shifted. Andy Reid brought that team to be more of an intermediate pass game team. As most Miami fans like to point out, don't criticize, you know, well, I, I, let me preface this. Not all Miami fans, just the very diehard two apologists would try to point out, look, Pat Mahomes checked the ball down to Tyreek Hill closer to the line of scrimmage. Oh, so two was, you know, that whole talking point. Um, listen, I don't care if, if guys threw the ball, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage or not. Uh, 
I care about winning football games. I care about making sure we can at least have a threat of a deep ball, things like that, which they still had. But the reason why Tyreek Hill has been brought over here to Miami is very similar to that skill set he had when he adapted to Kansas City, line of scrimmage guy. Now, what people might be thinking is, well, what did we use Jalen Waddle like last year? Well, that was to a security blanket, which every quarterback has when we discussed that last episode. And most, most quarterbacks have it with a tight end, but he had it with his wide receiver. They played in college together. So when I look at what Waddle did with being in that role, I think he's going to be freed up to be a little more versatile. A lot of people are going to be focusing on Tyree Kill. Yes, he's still going to get yards. He's still going to get fed the ball. But I personally think the coverages and the way that Miami can manipulate these defenses by using Waddle, Waddle, people forget, that guy is a burner. I mean, he's still a very fast player. He can get you deep. He can get separation, as we saw last season, even in tight situations, which is why Tua threw to him a lot. So I think that Jalen Wilde is going to make the most of whether it's a line of scrimmage play, an intermediate throw. I think I'm going to even go out to say and he's going to catch a pass for at least 65 yards this season. I think there will be at so, one point in time that we will get a deep pass like that. Waddle's going to be on the end. I kind of want to double down on what you're saying there. And it really stuck out to me because it's something I'm very familiar with. So they're going to be caught in a lot of formations where I think you're going to have the tight ends inbound. You're going to have the receiver outside. You're going to always have that number one receiver outside. And I think that's going to be Tyreek. Um, I think we're going to see Jalen Waddle, like you said, in motion a lot. They're going to try to bring him across the formation, um, either trying to break zone, kind of trying to figure out what they're doing with man. They're going to try to get him lined up inside against linebackers because if there's two tight ends, linebackers are going to probably be thinking it's going to be a running down or it's going to be a tight formation. So I think you're going to see Jalen Waddle line up inside real quick and they're going to try to hurry up and snap it. And they're going to try to give them the ball early. So I, I don't disagree with that. Um, Tyreek Hill, if anyone doesn't know, he's, he's not a huge guy. He's not tall, but like you said, he does have some speed. So I think most defenses are going to be comfortable with that look going. If you, if you want to run someone inside, go right ahead. And, and I think that does make sense. So I'm not really too shocked with your anticipation that Jalen Waddle's going to be better. I don't care what PFF says. PFF says a whole lot of things. Um, you know, it has Hunter Henry named as the best tight end when it comes to passer rating on the inside, but we're, we're all going to be honest here. Does he have the playmaking ability? The other tight ends have no, but is he sure hands? Sure. Does that make you the best? No, but, PFF, a lot of it's fluff. It's a lot of numbers. It's not logical. It's not the eye test. It's not, let, let, let's be honest here. I agree with that. And I, I don't even second guess that for a bit. I'm, I'm willing to double down on that as well. As we get closer to the season and we do this deep dive, I do think that we're going to see the depth start to come out and start to really show um, with these 53-man rosters, give us a little bit of an idea maybe of who could be that surprise player that's you know comes up. Maybe it's the third wide receiver. Maybe it's the this particular running back. Maybe somebody shows up on the defense in the secondary for the Patriots. So it's going to be interesting as we get close to the season. But, Sean, um, as we close out here, I do want to introduce a new segment to our show that we'll be introducing. Um, fan comment of the week. This is, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I want to give mine. So this, this came up recently in case people don't know. Tyreek Hill 
was in an interview and brought up to the attention that he believed the underthrow video that was first published back in May on Twitter of Tua throwing him the ball that people went wild about and went viral was done on purpose to get people talking. And he believes that a lot of people are going to be eating their words about Tua. And it was kind of like a trap uh, putting that video up there for the haters. So this is a comment on a Miami message board. Somebody said that all of us were rooting for Tua and it's in our best interest that he does succeed. Um, We can't say we haven't seen anything to make us imagine he does get on point, especially with the O-line. He's been through a lot, but the team has replaced the offensive coordinator during his first two seasons. So why do you think that is? Now he's on his third offensive coordinator. Where is the accountability for him to learn the offense? And here's the comment. What part of incompetent coaching and the talent level do you not understand? Evaluating two of these past two years is asinine and irrational. This will be the year we see what he's got. What accountability? That question is for the maniac Flores to answer, not Tua. I don't know if I would call Brian Flores a maniac. I don't know. Is he a maniac, Sean? Uh, I guess for doing your job and wanting to win games and not kind of throwing them like we're doing some WWE kind of version <laughs> of McMahon out there. Like, I, I don't understand, like, like you know, I... purposely trying to sabotage your quarterback relationships and throw games is really in the interest of any coach with any validity. But OK, I. It's not irrational. It's not asinine to evaluate somebody. We just went over the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Most of those coaches that were on those teams are no longer on those teams, by the way, just to let you know, either fired within the next year or two seasons. The only coach that's still there on that list uh, is actually, believe it or not, Pete Carroll. That was the 2016 Seahawks. Everybody else is no longer with their teams. So, I think it's a fair assessment to say that, hey, this is what we've seen the last two years. I think people get caught up in trying to pick a side and pick a camp. Listen, I just want to win. As Al Davis said, just win, baby. Just win, baby. That's all that matters. Just win. You know, I, again, I don't know what the season will be. Maybe Tua does have it. I just don't know if it's going to be enough to be what we need at quarterback, you know? And I like Tua. I, I think he's a... He's nobody can say anything nasty about two of the person. Um, good heart, very level-headed, very humble, very all around from all accounts that are that are out there. Very good human being, um, and I love that about Tua. And obviously, you can tell by your background, he's got the much better smile than Mac Jones. You know, yeah. Mac Jones has got the Alabama smile. Tua's got that Hawaiian chill, oh, cool he, smile. He he he's got the Alabama smile, the more successful quarterback Alabama smile. Or... I don't know about that. I don't know about that, uh, but it, and I will say, and to his defense, Mac Jones did go to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. So if there's going to be a handful of coaches you trust with a rookie quarterback. It's going to be Bill. And in fact, he trusted him so much against the Bills. Their only win came when he threw for only three times. So there's that. But I digress. I don't know if uh, this season will be what we need, but we'll find out. But. Uh, Sean, we've got some big episodes coming up, 53-man roster outlooks, uh, preseason and all that. Uh, 
anything you want to add before we close out today on these hot takes, cold takes? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and trickle in that, uh, that fan comment over here in the Patriots boards. We got a Patriot one. Okay. Go for it. So I see something in the Patriots odyssey that was posted saying why Mac might make a few more mistakes in 2022 and why that's okay. So with very little reading, apparently this person didn't care to spend the two minutes it took to read this article. And they said, it's pretty obvious. No risk it, no biscuit. What? <laughs> no risk it, no biscuit. I don't think I've no heard that No risk it, one. no biscuit. So I, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say, uh, lay off the biscuits. Okay. Um, Mac Hillsbury. doesn't need them. I like to see him stay slim. But uh, yes. If you don't make the attempt for more high yardage plays, I think it's fair to assume uh, it's worth a risk. So I, I think Mac and needs to biscuit. take the risk. If it means winning biscuits, go right ahead, bud. Wow. Sponsored by Pillsbury. Apparently it's no longer yeah. Gillette stadium. It's Pillsbury stadium. Yeah. Let's go ahead and shave that off the top. But anyhow, yeah. regardless, <laughs> well, anyways, we'll be back with more episodes here soon. We'll be doing a deep dive on 53 man roster. Of course, the new Madden comes out in August. So Sean, and I will be giving our reviews on that for our, hopefully I won't mode. be stumped for the second Madden in a row. Um, I was on a pretty good streak of a few years and it seems I have taken the turn in the past two years and it's getting have, really damn irritating. So I have learned like how to, to build move teams on. pretty well and draft players that you were going to pick. So yeah, that is pretty <laughs> dirtbaggish, but anyhow, you know, uh, but anyways, so again, we are on Podbean, Apple podcast, YouTube. Uh, you can follow us there, Instagram. So if you like the show, give us a review, give us a follow, a subscribe. Appreciate it, everybody. And we'll be back with more episodes of Rival of the East. Take care, everybody. Peace.